You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For everything for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome in to another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. It is game week, and George, we are here mercifully at this point for the final preview pod of the regular season. Pulse Texans, the season finale, will be on Sunday. The four-win Pulse, the two-win Texans, just like we thought, battling it out in week 18 and in one of the biggest games of the week. So we'll get you set for that game. This week, we'll try to we will also discuss a mystery head coaching candidate that George has that could be in the next week. Maybe you could hear a lot when it comes to searching for a head coach as soon as Monday. And also, too, we'll get into this discussion here in a second. When you look at the Colts season so far, sitting there at 4-11-1, have they been the biggest disappointment so far this season? We'll discuss that and also a few Colts finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney. But, George, we start with this. I kind of want to just throw this out there because it's sort of like a paradox, but I think this is this is true. Now that we kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel for the regular season, I feel like twofold, both this season flew by considering that we started this pod right, you know, in the middle of training camp or right when training camp started. So it's like the fact that the Blue Horseshoe pod is kind of winding down here in the regular season kind of when we got started earlier this year. And also, too, this feels like one of the longest seasons I've ever been a part of. It's It's both – gone forever and also at the same time it feels like it's gone by in a blink of an eye yeah it's weird you know because i i feel the same way i mean in some in some ways it feels like we were just talking in training camp like that just happened you know uh and in other ways it, it feels like this season's gone on in eternally um and i think that's what happens when when you have this kind of year because uh, every season really flies by i mean when you think about it uh, every time you kind of it just feels like every year for me, September to January is, is, is just a blink. You know, it's just kind of, it's week one and you're thinking this is a really long haul and, and you look up and it's like week eight all of a sudden and then the season's over. Uh, but then I think when you're losing and, and you have the expectations as we're going to get into here in a little bit that they had coming in, there's just so much. I think the biggest thing this year to me is mental fatigue. I mean, I keep talking about that with the players, but I think it's true of, of fans and media as well. I mean, there's just, it's been one of those years where so many things happened and, and it was bad news almost every Monday. I mean, it felt like, you know, pretty much every Monday or Tuesday, here came something down, down the pipe that, that you didn't want to hear. Um, it, it just makes the season feel like almost interminable. Right. That kind of month between like Halloween and Thanksgiving, like I said, every, I feel like we're doing emergency pods every single Monday. There's always some sort of crazy bit of news coming out. And like I said, it just that that felt like a, that month alone felt like an entire blur. But you're right, it feels like just yesterday we're talking about Sam Ellinger being a part of the 53 man roster and having three quarterbacks to start week one. And then here we are already at week 18 talking about a forward football team. 
it's been, like I said, a very chaotic year. It's been a busy year for sure, without a doubt. For how bad this team is, there's been no shortage of storylines whatsoever. So speaking of which, George, now that we can basically put a bow in the season, I don't think win or lose on Sunday is going to change this answer for sure. So I think it's a good time to kind of talk about it now. We look at the Colts coming in with expectations of winning the division. Right? Remember when we did our preview pod to start the year, we talked about expectations. We both had them winning the division. Uh, I believe your expectation was to win a playoff game. I was, mine was just to you know basically make the playoffs, and from there, it's, it's a crapshoot. So if we had expectations high and bare minimum, playoff team, division winner, and clearly they have fallen well, well, well short of that. There's other teams out there, you know, the Raiders, the Broncos. I know it's kind of weird to say because both the Packers and Buccaneers, well, in the Bucks' case, will make the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. The Packers could make the playoffs after they were 4-8 and eight at one point this year. But even look at the record with how they've gone so far this season, if they make the playoffs, it's still a big disappointment from, you know, what the preseason expectations were. So there's a good amount of teams that I would say underachieved this season in the NFL. Would you say the Colts are at the top of that list or is someone else there? Um, yeah, I throw the Rams into that mix too, but I think they had injuries. One, yep. and I think that was a big part of their, you wonder what happens if Matthew Stafford's healthy this year. Uh, probably wouldn't be a four win year for them or five win year for them, I guess is where they're at right now. Uh, I put Denver at the top of the list just because I know at least one person on this pod picked them to win the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't think you were alone. I mean, people looked at that Russell Wilson trade and they felt like it was the missing piece. You know, they were expected not just to, to compete for the AFC West, but to compete for, for a Super Bowl championship uh, and to have Russell Wilson be a potential MVP candidate. So there were high expectations here. Absolutely. Uh, and we weren't alone in the, in that regard either. And people thinking that Matt Ryan was going to come in and, and fix a lot of things. And, and this team would be a playoff team. Uh, I think it's both teams have, have a case for being, you know, the most disappointing, but I just think Denver's if you would have polled like experts across the league at the beginning of the year, I think they would have all said Denver's going to have a better season than the Colts. They would have felt like Denver was more likely to make playoffs, go further in the playoffs. And, you know, they lost the head to head battle right now. They're, they're behind the Colts in the, in the draft. They're probably going to end up picking higher. Well, they're not going to have the pick because they traded it's Seattle. Even worse. Yeah. But their, their season will end up being even worse than the Colts. So, I think Denver gets that crown, uh, but it should be no consolation to the Colts because they're right there. I mean, after Denver, I don't think there's – you can look at the Raiders and the Packers and the Bucks and, and all the teams you just mentioned. I don't think any of those teams really come close to the Colts in terms of, you know, how far short of expectations they fell. Like you said, Tampa is going to make playoffs, and, and who knows? I mean, the NFC, uh, if Green Bay gets in, who knows who, who's going to win that conference? So, um you know, they could still end up with some really good things to take away from this year. The Colts, I, I don't know what your takeaway is from this season. I can't, you know, usually at the end of the year, you can point to something and say, well, the development of, of, of this young player or, you know, a coach that came along or, or whatever. I think it's really hard. I, like your take on it, you know, what what do you feel like happened this year that's going to help this football team in 2025 or 2026. And that's the thing too. Like the biggest success you could say, or the biggest like shining light come out of this year, if you want to say, or, or hope is just like, if, it, it honestly is based on the quarterback you draft in, in April. Like if they get Bryce Young. It's okay. That this season you could say is a success. And that's also just honestly projecting that Bryce Young can be a good quarterback. We've seen many of these top quarterbacks in, in the NFL draft that just flame out, not play up to expectations. So that's another thing. Like, there's really nothing you could say definitively right now that there's been a bright spot. Like even the defense, for all they've done, and I don't still think this last month is really on them. 
but it's like they've been the most solid unit of this year. But again, is that really saying much? Like the linebackers have been pretty good, especially without Shaq Leonard. So, okay, we, we give them that in the secondary. But really, again, there, there's not a lot that gives you a lot of encouragement going forward. So, you're right. It's going to be all basically who can you hire and who do you draft with this draft position you got from this horrible year. And then in five years, maybe if, if that quarterback works out, we can say, okay, 2022 for how bad it was and how much of a circus it was, it was worth it. But there's really no way to answer that the next year or two, just because there's so many, you know, you have to see how the dominoes fall after this season. I think you're right about Denver because like, when you get Russell Wilson, I was the one, I was all on board. I thought this team was going to the Super Bowl and here they are picking inside the top five. And Russell Wilson is a guy that, again, when we talk about, you know, attractive head coach openings, that's a guy that depending on what kind of candidate you are, the coach can be more attractive just because you look at Russell Wilson and say, that's a guy I don't want, which is kind of crazy when you give him all that draft capital, you go all in, give him the massive contract. And now one year later, that could be a guy that is, you know, repelling potential head coaching candidates because of how bad he was in 2022. I'm with you on Denver. I would also put the Raiders above the Colts just because of the fact that you look at this team, they made the playoffs last year, Richard Pisaccio. You run it back, you you get Devontae Adams. So again, for all, you know, the offense, you look at what they have, you bring in a top flight wide receiver. This should be where not expectations were high. I would say I think it was a more of a consensus the Colts were going to be a playoff team compared to the Raiders. But also I think part of that was just the Raiders are in the AFC West. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about how good the AFC West is going to be before the year. Obviously it didn't pan out that way. But I think when you look at you bring in Joshua Daniels, you bring in Devonta Adams, this is supposed to kind of take him over the top. And now bare minimum, get back to where he did last year. And now we're sitting here talking about a Raiders team that not only is nowhere near the playoff race, but also lost to the Colts and Jeff Saturday. And now we see George, Seven games later, how like we thought it was embarrassing in the moment. Now you look back and you see the last, you know, how the last five, six games have gone. It's 10 times worse for Joshua Daniels. He also lost to Baker Mayfield, who's in LA for like 40 hours by the time that Thursday night Rams uh, Raiders game kicked off. You lose that. He's blown what four double digit halftime leads, which is out, you know, astonishing. Congrats to you. So it's like I said, I think you also worded perfectly. It's not a consolation prize that the Colts are. Depending on you know on your review of some of these teams before the season, second or third in terms of most disappointing, it's still a flat on embarrassment. It's still a massive underachievement. But I think when you look around, I would put both teams in the AFC West and the Broncos and Raiders slightly ahead, just because of you go all in this offseason, whether it's a receiver or a quarterback, and to, to fall equally with the Colts and where they are, or like I said, in the case of the Broncos, even worse, it's it's embarrassing. No, there's no doubt. I think you're right about the Raiders. I mean, you go back to those preseason expectations. They were another team that was probably expected to be at least the roster was better than the Colts. You know, like you talk about the division and things were making some of that that different. But right. I think people looked at what they did in the offseason and felt like the Raiders were a better team than the Colts were coming into this season. And and I guess they'll end up they'll be ahead of the Colts. So congratulations on that. But uh, again, well, well, well short of, of where they wanted to be. I think that the thing that's in common with all three of these is, you know, something big you did in the offseason, your centerpiece move not working out. I mean, Russell Wilson being just a travesty to this point in Denver, maybe that'll turn around. We'll see it better for their sake. Um, Josh McDaniels imploding with the Raiders and then Matt Ryan not being able to, to raise this offense at all. I mean, that's to me, the biggest disappointment of this season when you look at, you know, all the things that there are to point at for where this went wrong, this offense is historically bad. And I, I'm not, that's not hyperbole. 
you know, I, I think by DVOA, they're the worst. I, I believe Nate Atkins from the Indy Star told me they're the worst by DVOA since the 2018 Cardinals, which had a rookie Josh Rosen at quarterback. Oh. I mean, when, when you look at things like that, it's incredible. And that's, I guess, too, if you want hope for the future, this offense was so wretchedly bad that even improving to, like, the middle of the league uh, would, would probably put you in playoff contention. I mean, that that's how bad things went on that side of the ball this year. You're right. And, and we talked about, too, the turnovers. Like, you, you just get marginally better on offense. You cut down the 30-plus turnovers – I mean, in half, is that even like, I don't think it's that drastic to go from 30 plus, like 15 or like basically go from two a game to one a game. All of a sudden now, like I said, that's probably three or four wins. And now you're looking at a team that's hovering off 500 just on, on those sheer small improvements for next year. That is a good point where it's just like, it shouldn't be that hard and shouldn't be that quick of a turnaround. So you hope that that's more of an attractive uh, outlook for, again, potential head coaches, which we'll get to here in a second. But when you look at even just this team, I mentioned Matt Ryan, like I said, Matt Ryan, I thought he's actually, you know, coming off last year, which you kind of look around and said, okay, I thought it was more the Falcons' lack of weapons and just kind of lack of talent around him. It kind of led to his downfall. I really thought we'd see kind of a Matthew Stafford rejuvenation like he had in L.A. We kind of see, not, you know, a Super Bowl run by any stretch of the imagination, but just a reminder that, oh, yeah, Matt Ryan still has a little juice left this year in ending. Obviously, what we saw that was not the case whatsoever. Would you say Matt Ryan's been the biggest disappointment on this Colts team so far this season? Would you go somewhere else? Um, it's between him and the offensive line. I mean, when we come in, I, I felt like Matt Ryan was going to be like a 4,500 yard guy, 25 touchdowns. I thought that was reasonable that you'd see him in that range. Obviously nowhere near those numbers. No. Uh, it wouldn't have been, even if he hadn't been benched twice, it, it's not, that's not the only thing that, that, that held that back. Uh, I thought that he would open up a lot of the passing game, uh, give them a lot more versatility, on that side of the ball. And it, obviously none of that came close to, to being true. And honestly, you know, we saw it week one. Uh, I think at the time we were thinking, well, it's just week one woes. And it's, you know, this is, this is how this team opens seasons, but you go back now with, with the benefit of hindsight, it was all right there in Houston uh, at, at the very start of the season. You know, that offense did nothing until the fourth quarter. Uh, and then they were able to, to do some, some hurry up and, and get in, get on the board. And really, uh, all year long, whatever success they have with Matt Ryan, most of it came in an up-tempo kind of you know setting. So uh, I think he's right there. I think the offensive line is is maybe one A alongside him. Uh, we knew that there were. I, I think they're they're second because we knew there were some concerns there coming in. You knew they had two new starters to bring in, which is never easy. You knew they didn't finish the year last year the way they wanted to. Uh, so there at least was some concern there. I don't think it was as shocking that, that they were you know, falling short of expectations. But when you look at what this team thought they were going to do, come in here and run the ball and support Matt Ryan that way, uh, give him good protection and let him find his targets. But the offensive line fell just as short of that goal as Matt Ryan did on, on his side of things. So uh, again, the offense in general just it fell so far short of expectations. And I don't think anybody thought this was going to be a top 10 offense, but I don't think anybody thought it was going to be 32nd either. Right. A bottom two offense where it's like 16.1 points per game. And as we get set for Colts Texans here on Sunday, fittingly two of the worst offenses are tied in terms of 16.1 points for the Colts and 16.1 points per game for the Texans. So like the offense has been by far that unit, one of the biggest disappointments in all the NFL 
I would just lean when it, for for the Colts. I would say it's the offensive line just because I think the expectations were higher. We said Matt Ryan. We both like. I was buying the fact that he's going to just they're going to keep it simple. He's going to have a good run game to lean on, and just basically not be Carson Wentz. They're going to trust him more, and that should open up the offense. Clearly, he was somehow ten times worse turnover wise than Carson Wentz ever was. But like I said, I think it just starts the offensive line in part because I thought that was even with how they finished last year, the last two or three games. I really thought that was an area where okay, it's still the highest paid unit in the uh, in the NFL. They have, you know, all pros and pro bowlers, you know, even though there's two spots and left tackle being one of them with questions, it's still, you got a lot of talent that maybe that should overcome, you know, those holes, those efficiencies, and you'll be at least able to get a push. And as you saw, that was absolutely not the case. Matt Ryan, I think, got skittish early. Never trusted the protection. We saw that early on. Like I said, I think, I think you're 100% right about when it comes to the Texans week one. We saw for three quarters this offense be just dead. In the fourth quarter, you, have, you rattle off 17 points, and it's like, okay, maybe there's, you know, you kind of get some of the rust off, and here you go. And look back, and it's like, that's been basically the Colts' MO this season. It's all or nothing, right? They're either humming, and they could score two or three drives in a row, or they just get nothing going. They can't get in the red zone. They have some sort of turnover that kills any of the momentum. And it's like, yeah, it's been all or nothing. They, they can't sustain really anything. I mean, it's been another maddening part for this season. And now it's just the last month, six weeks. It's been unable to sustain any sort of life whatsoever. It's been just absolutely just brutal, brutal, brutal to watch. So congrats to the Colts. They have not been the biggest disappointment this year. Uh, there's a little participation trophy, a, a little, you know, pin you can put on your uh, your shirt there, uh, Jim Mercy, to kind of say, hey, we're not the worst, but you are one of the worst when it comes to disappointing teams. That is for sure. In 2022. We're in the bottom quartile of the bottom quartile. Oh, for the last, what, two decades, they were upper quartile of upper quartile. And this year, they are the bottom quartile of the bottom quartile when it comes to performance and especially when it comes to discipline. I like that, George. That is that is perfect. Perfect for sure. All right, when we come back, because of the disappointment, Frank Reich, as we know, did get fired. And Jeff Saturday, look, again, if he gets a head coaching job, I may hand him my Colts fandom for life after that, or at least till he's, he's no longer the head coach, that's for sure. But we talk about head coaching candidates a lot. And the name we've talked about a lot is Jim Harbaugh. Well, what about if Jim Harbaugh doesn't want the job? What if Jim Harbaugh takes another job? We haven't really talked about any other candidates. We haven't really talked about any other possibilities. George has a mystery candidate whose name he thinks you'll be hearing a lot this head coaching cycle. We'll get that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey, George Bremer here with you as always. As a reminder, make sure you download and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod because... Even though the regular season is winding down, this is honestly, George, we're just getting started here. Like it's almost like we're counting down to the regular season is over. That's really when the true season for the Colts start because hey, coaching speculation, draft speculation. So it's gonna be an extremely busy offseason for us, George. Maybe even busier than the regular season at this point, the last month, the way it's gone. No, absolutely. Uh, I think you're gonna see a lot of speculation and it's gonna move quickly. I mean, that's one of the things that we were talking about. This head coaching search should be fairly efficient, fairly quick. They, they've had an opening since November 7th. So, you know, obviously they're going to consider Jeff Saturday and, and, and you're going to you know take that into account. But 
you should be able to get interviews in here pretty quickly. I would think that you should have that list all lined up. I mean, they should start pretty much Monday with interviews coming in and, and, you know, rolling with this, seeing what direction they're going to go. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then once you get that handled, uh, it's going to turn to what it's been the last five years. Who's the quarterback, you know, who's, what are they going to do with that position? So, and, and those two, I think those are such huge, you know, we had that segment a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about what would you rather have Jim Harbaugh or Bryce young, you know, who's more important. Those two spots are so vitally important it, it, to, to get them both in the same off season. Um, it just, it's not just about next year. I mean, those, those two spots are going to determine the next five years of this franchise. Without a doubt. And that's what we're going to have you covered all throughout the off season. So that's why it's ever more important than right now to make sure you're subscribing and downloading to the blue horseshoe pod, because we're going to have a ton of content coming your way, previewing head coaching candidates, reacting to the, the eventual hire, getting you set for which quarterback the Colts could draft. Hint, Bryce Young, <coughs> don't listen Texans. And we'll get you set for what it's going to be. Like I said, an offseason that should shape the next five years for the Colts without, I don't know if we're being hyperbolic there whatsoever. It's going to be a massive, massive offseason. So again, if you haven't been downloading, subscribing before, now is the perfect time to do so to make sure you're all caught up on all the Colts content coming your way, which should be a very busy offseason. All right, George. So speaking of the first domino to fall, it's going to be the head coach uh, opening. And the name we've talked about here really the last two months has been Jim Harbaugh, right? Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. I would say for most Colts fans, including myself, uh, Jim Harbaugh's number one. Like, number one, you're nodding your head in, in agreement as well. That should be the number one target for the Colts. Realistically, Sean Payton's not going to come to Indy, so let's just go, kind of push him aside. What if Jim Harbaugh doesn't come to the Colts? What if he stays in Michigan? What if he takes another job? What if Jim Irsay just says, you know, I don't like Jim Harbaugh. Would it be crazy? No, Jim Irsay has done nothing that made sense so far this year. Let's just say it's anyone but uh, Jim Harbaugh. You have a candidate whose name has not been mentioned uh, really whatsoever that you think could be in the mix and a name Colts fans could be hearing a lot here these next few days and few weeks. Who is it and why is their candidacy here possibility of them taking over for the Colts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, his name's not been mentioned because he has a current head coaching job. I think that's part of this right now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with him this weekend. But uh, I go to Washington Commanders and, and Ron Rivera, and the reason is uh, Chris Ballard and, and Rivera have a, a really good relationship dating back to their time together with the Bears. You know, they went to a Super Bowl together when uh, Rivera was a defense coordinator there and uh, Ballard was a scout. So I'm sure that there's there's a relationship there that you can you can lean on. And we were kind of talking about this, you know, off the air. I don't know that Rivera is going to have a lot of other options. Not many guys get three bites of the apple, you know, as head coaches. Uh, and and you look at the other spots right now that are open, and and we'll see, um, you know, what happens on on Black Monday. But Carolina is not going to bring him back. You can pretty much X that one off right away. And I, it doesn't seem like a big enough splash for Denver. I think they're going to want to make a big, you know, even if they don't get Jim Harbaugh, they're going to want a bigger name than Ron Rivera, I would imagine, in there. Um, and, and so I think it's a situation where, as you look at the landscape, and we talked about this as well, it's pretty barren. If you don't get Jim Harbaugh, I've seen a lot of uh, of coordinator names, you know, being speculated. And the thing I would say is a lot of those guys you can cross off right away. If they've got a connection to Nick Sirianni, take them off the board right now. If, if that wasn't clear, you know, after the game here with the Eagles, I, I don't know what more you need to see. He's not going to be recommending that they come here. They're not going to come here. 
And I know the argument all the time is us oh, one of 32. That's true. If you don't have any other options. And I think, you know, guys like St. Shane Sykin and, and Jonathan Gannon will have other options. They've also, they've got the option to stay in Philly and, you know, wait for next year's cycle. That That's a really legitimate option for them uh, because they have good jobs right now. I think you're going to be looking at guys who either are, you know, on the, on the back end of their career uh, and don't have a lot of options because of that, or have, have no resume right now, have a very thin resume uh, and don't have options because of that. The league was very, I don't think people really understand how much damage was done November 7th when Jim Irsay named Jeff Saturday coach. You saw it a little bit with Joe Thomas. You saw it a little bit with, with, uh, Bill Cower. Bill Cower. For some reason, his name was completely escaping right now. I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but uh, it, it, you saw it there publicly, but beneath the, the surface, there was a lot more behind the scenes. Uh, a lot of coaches feeling that same way. And I think there's a lot of guys out there, honestly, if they have options, who would rather the Colts have to kind of fight through this and, 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 you know, live with the consequences of it, then come in here and save the day. So I think Ron Rivera's name might rise pretty pretty quickly towards the top of the list of candidates if, one, Washington fires him, obviously. That's got to happen uh, before anything else. And, two, if Jim Harbaugh decides this isn't the job for him. So let's start with the second part or the first part first because, like I said, I just – I know Dan Snyder – is someone who's you know the least trustworthy owner in the NFL, and that's you know we told him Jim Mercy had been a wild card. That is the ultimate wild card. I don't just don't know. I feel like he would use Ron Rivera as just a shield. I know he's in the process of selling the team, so who knows how much longer he's going to be there? Maybe he just doesn't care. I guess at this point, I just have a tough time seeing Ron Rivera get fired. But let's just say if he does, or if he does get fired, the thing that gives you pause with Rivera, and I think you're right by the way, when it comes to the the pool of of candidates being smaller. Than maybe even I would say beforehand, just because, like I said, of how Jim Mercer has handled the firing of Frank Reich and then the, the hiring of Jeff Saturday after that. So I think you know, I think that does take away some candidates that otherwise maybe would be interested if you just promoted Bubba Ventrone or, or John Fox or literally just done what 99% of NFL teams do when they fire a head coach, just promote from within. But when it comes to Ron Rivera, like the thing that bothers me a little bit with him is we saw it at the tail end of Carolina, and we saw it really all throughout his tenure in Washington. It's the it's the quarterback circus. It's the quarterback carousel that has continued really throughout. You know what the Colts trying to get off of. That's what Ron Rivera has been circling around now for years. I understand it's not really you know it's not all on him, right? You know he, he's not the GM in either Carolina or or uh, Washington again. When it comes to Washington, your your hands are tied when it comes to dealing with Dan Snyder and. Apparently, Dan Snyder really wanted Carson Wentz, and that's why the commanders wanted him more than, you know, Ron Rivera. Those reports are out there. But just like he's a guy that has lived in the quarterback carousel for now the last four or five years of his head coaching career. I'm just – like, again, and seemingly the Colts are going to get off that, but that's a guy that I don't think has, you know, been able to be, you know – he's not – he also not just it's the fact they haven't gotten a quarterback in either Washington or again towards the town of Carolina when kind of when Cam Newton was falling off. So the fact that I don't think he's handled the quarterback situation very well either. Like you look even this year when it's you start Carson Wentz and then Taylor Heineke's playing well and you're not committing to, to Taylor Heineke as your core as your quarter uh, started quarterback and then it's like a week by week basis and now Taylor Heineke struggles to go back to Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz those three picks. What a shock there, George. And now it's like oh, we're going to go back to Taylor Heineke. Actually, you know what? We're going to start Sam Howell instead. There's a lot of indecision. And again, 
I understand the Colts pool is going to be slim, so it's not like you, you can pick from the you know uh, this great vast pool. And it's like the Colts are the number one team on everyone's list this offseason. I get that. I just when you look at the Colts issues of late at quarterback, and you look at what's kind of followed Ron Rivera as well. Just that's what gives you pause. And that's for me someone that just I'm not chomping at the bit to say get me Ron Rivera if Jim Harbaugh says no. It's definitely a red flag. I mean, there's no question about it. And the way he handled the quarterback situation this year in Washington was was not good at all. I don't think you'll find a Commanders fan out there that that backs it. Um, you know, and I think also he was brought there to change the culture. And granted, it was a it was a big ask uh, mm-hmm. with everything that was going on out there. But it, it was implicit when he came in that that was his job. You know, to what degree did he succeed? I know we may have to get Craig back on here again, Craig Hoffman, and, and, and talk to him about that if this becomes a reality. Um, but, you know, I, they, I think the last two years, the commanders probably had better seasons than than on paper you would have expected them to going in. I mean, where you would write them in at. Uh, they were in playoff contention, you know, both years late in the year, uh, which I don't think was necessarily the case. Now, again, is that more to do with the weakness of the NFC or anything that they did? That's that's another one of those chicken or the egg things. I think one thing for sure, if he is the guy here, and I, we're a long way from there, um, but if that were to become reality, it's imperative that you get the quarterback right. Uh, because you saw, you know, when he had a rookie, uh, Cam Newton, he did a pretty good job, you know, early sure. on with them and, and, and build him up. Uh, but when it's not there, when there are questions at quarterback and, 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 or when a guy's dropping off, that's when you see him really struggle too. So I think it, if he were to be the guy, you'd have to nail that quarterback pick. And that's a good point too. Cause like, even go back to how he's handled the quarterbacks this year. Like, look, I'm not telling you Carson Wentz is the answer or that is any good. Like, everyone with eyes can see that Carson Wentz is not a franchise quarterback, but you go back earlier this year and Ron Rivera's, I forget what it, when it was, maybe it was right when, when Carson Wentz got hurt. But someone asked Ron Rivera, like, basically, what is it like when you look at the rest of the NFC East with the Giants, with the, the Eagles, and the uh, and the Cowboys? Why are they so much, you know, further along than you are? And Ron Rivera deadpan to the camera said, "Quarterback." Again, it's not like he's wrong. I think he's 100 right. With, with Carson Wentz struggling, and even Tara Heineke playing okay, but not really being this great quarterback or consistent quarterback, I don't think he's wrong in the answer. I still don't think as a head coach you could say that, and you could put all the blame on your failed season on one guy. So that's like another concern, right? Let's just say they get. Bryce Young or Will Lev, like whoever, whatever court they draft, what if things don't go great? What if he starts off slow? We've seen plenty of rookie quarterbacks start off slow and gain their careers. But what if six, seven games, they got turnovers left and right, not seeing the field well? Is Ron, like, is Ron Ray going to have the patience to be able to go through that, the stomach to kind of sit through those, you know, growing pains for a year or two to allow the quarterback to kind of figure it out on his own? Or is he going to kind of, like I said, start throwing stones? start being impatient or start feeling like his job is online and, and kind of get desperate and go to the backup or, or make a quarterback change. It's going to hurt the future of this team. I don't know the answer. And that's a little bit of a scary thing where even if let's say you do nail the quarterback in the draft and we think that's the guy, well, does Ron Rivera have the patience to go through some of the lumps you're going to have with a young quarterback? And again, when you look at kind of the end of Carolina, especially this year in Washington, I was handled that. I think the answer you could say right now is yes. Well, and you know, when you talk about like red flags too, I mean, press conferences in general are gonna gonna be rough uh, if he's here. I mean, you just go to last week and in his answer when when he was asked about the team being eliminated, and he admitted that he didn't know that it was a possibility. Now, I think most head coaches are in that. I don't think he's rare in that. Most head coaches are are locked into that to that matchup, 
that day. They couldn't tell you playoff scenarios. Uh, they don't have time to look at them. But most of them will not admit it. It's another thing that the head coach can't say. You know, um, all, all you do in that, the answer to that question is just, we haven't got that far ahead yet. And then when you get back in the locker room, you, you look at your PR guy and say, wait a minute, we can be eliminated. You, you don't say that publicly. You know, I, I think that's, there, there's going to be an element of that. There's no question. He's far from a perfect candidate. He would be far from the top guy on my list. Uh, but again, when you just look at the landscape, I mean, if it comes down to Ron Rivera or Leslie Frazier, which way are you going? Jeez. I mean, I take, I take Ron Rivera, but that's, you know, we're picking between, you know, two things I feel like either way are not going to be the, the best outcome. You know, you're picking between two, the, basically what's the best or the worst outcome in that situation. So it's sure. Then, then there's the chance. There's Ron Rivera where I would get behind that higher. If it's Leslie Frazier and Ron Rivera, which that's a bigger issue, I'd say, when it comes to the Colts, that's who your two finalists are. But speaking of which, George, I think part of the reason why we're having this conversation is you mentioned at the start of the segment. The pool is not going to be as big as maybe some people think. And I, I would say I was definitely in that campaign for weeks ago of the Colts maybe, you know, will be a more attractive job when you look at kind of the ones that are open right now. But I think you're right. I think that that Jim Irsay handling of Frank Reich's firing and, and the hiring of Jeff Saturday is really now where you're going to kind of see some of those big implications. So when we get past just Jim Harbaugh and even past Ron Rivera, who I would agree if he is fired, like the Colts are probably his only landing spot and the only – opportunity to get a third head coaching job in the NFL is going to be in Indy. And where else you look at? Like, I uh, I was kind of trying to do some research last night and throw some names by here. If we, if we talk about the second best candidate for this cold job outside of Jim Harbaugh, and we're talking realistic, right? So we're going to take away Sean Payton out of that out of that conversation here. And we're talking about just who is realistic for the Colts. One guy I want to throw your name out, I'll throw by here. We just saw him uh, this past week. What about Mike Kafka, offense coordinator for the Giants? You look at what he inherited with Brian Dayball, where, which is an offense that was kind of like the Colts this year. It was anemic. You had big questions about Daniel Jones. You had Saquon Barkley, but you have really offensive line, you know, big-time question marks and big-time regression going into this year. You have no wideouts. Like, they have no weapons whatsoever. I mean, you saw the, the guys Daniel Jones was throwing to. If you can name two of those guys before the game started, I'll give you a lot of credit. For any Colts fans out there, listen, if you can name Isaiah Hodgins or Richie James as two guys going to be killing the Colts, so they, they have done more with less. They made the playoffs with a team that I'm not a big Daniel Jones fan, and I don't like a lot of the weapons that are around him, but you look at all that, they've managed to get to the playoffs. Is a, is a guy like Mike Kafka also, you know, having a lot of experience under Andy Reid in Kansas City, is that a guy you look at and say, okay, you know, I could get behind him, even you know his, his resume is not maybe as vast, and this is his only year so far of being a play caller uh, with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think he's a guy I could get behind. I think Brian Dable's done a great job uh, really everywhere he's been. I, I'm not surprised that he came in and was a good head coach for the Giants. Uh, I, think they, I think the Colts would do well if they can find an offensive mind. I think that's one of the things we all kind of agree with. Even if you get a defensive head coach, you're going to have to bring in an offense coordinator who, who's really innovative, uh, forward-thinking, uh, and can help a young quarterback develop and i think mike kafka fits that but he's another guy I mean, when i talk about how low this pool of, of of candidates could be he's another guy question if you would have interest uh, because he's only been in with the giants for a year he's not going to have to rush into a job you know he could sit there and say i'll come back i'll build on what i did a year ago and i'll have a better offer i look there's going to be people who interview there's no question it's not going to be a barren landscape in that regard uh, but i think most people i will have a legitimate question about 
their interest level coming here because of the circus that developed during, you know, from Halloween to, to Thanksgiving. If we do some rapid fire here, I know we did this a few weeks ago, but if we just kind of get the, a different pool of names here, if we go realistic or unrealistic, you mentioned before, but just get you on the record again. Shane Steichen, realistic mm-hmm. offense coordinator for the Eagles or un- unrealistic? I cross everybody on the Eagles off. That's a guy too. It's frustrating. I think you're right. That's a guy that, again, you see how the offense for the Eagles has, has been able mm-hmm. to succeed and you look at what they are doing. It's just they have built an offense that caters to Jalen Hurts. That's I think now where the like where the NFL offense is going is not I think running a certain system, but it's how flexible can you be? Another word I saw which like is how malleable can you be? I don't think right now like I think where the NFL is going, especially when it comes to offensive minds, is how can you do and how can you basically make the best let's say recipe with, with the ingredients you have? Right? It's not about oh we run this air raid offense, we run this power run offense. It's this is the offense you have, right? You look at the culture. You have Jonathan Taylor. You have Michael Pittman Jr. You have an offensive line that underachieved big time this year, but it is highly paid, so a lot of those guys aren't going anywhere. What can you do with this team right now, and how can you get the, basically the – what offense can you create that has the best outcome and the best success? And that's frustrating. It's got like Shane Second, you see it this year, especially with what the Eagles have done, and even last year as well when you developed Jalen Hurts in uh, Nick Jr.'s first year. They have built an offense and kind of turned it around from a Carson Wentz pro-style offense with similar pieces to now what is kind of a, a spread it out run pass option team that is again one of the best offenses in the NFL and we see the Eagles as one of the best teams in the NFL that's a guy that really should be at the top of the Colts list in terms of what he brings in qualifications and I think you're right it's I don't think Nick Sirianni not that he wouldn't allow it but I think also it helps that Shane Seconds services will be uh in demand this offseason so you're right I think if it was only the Colts I would say that I, I would not picture Nick Sirianni saying, no, don't go there. Basically, I'm not going to allow you to go to this job and, and come back with next year. But I think the bigger issue is I think his services will be in demand where I think he'll get hired somewhere else. And like I said, he'll have options yeah. where Andy's not the only one. And I don't think that Sirianni would tell anybody, you know, not to do it. Um, right. I would agree. But, but I, I think if you're Shane Sykin and, and, and you're working with Nick and, and you, he had a relationship with Frank Reich too. I mean, he was on the list of, offense coordinators when Sirianni got the job. In fact, I think some early reports said it was going to be him uh, and then ended up being Sirianni. So they were obviously inaccurate, but that's the first time I heard his name was in connection to be Frank Reich's offense coordinator. So uh, my guess is he's got a lot of the same feelings that, that Nick Sirianni does right now about the way things went down in Indy. And and so again, if you've got options, yeah, if you don't, you're right. It's, it's one of 32 when it's the only one open or it's the only one available to you. Uh, if you've got options, I, I don't think you're going to turn this way, especially in Shane Sykin's situation where, you know, I, I think he's got a, some personal stake in, in in what happened here. And what about D'Amico Ryans? Do you say he's realistic at all? I think a little bit. You know, D'Amico's one of those guys that I think you've got to look at. It, it, it's some of those unanswerable questions we always talk about, things that are going on in his head. He has no obvious tie to Frank Reich. He has no obvious tie, uh, you know, to anything that would, would give you immediate pause here. And I think he would look at this defense and feel like it's ready to win now. I think most people do obviously didn't finish the year the way that they wanted to. Uh, but I think he would definitely see some things here uh, th- that would on the defensive side that th- that would really probably give him a lot of optimism. I, I think he worked with DeForest Buckner. I think he's been there long enough. I, I have to check back there and see. Uh, but even if he didn't, he certainly has guys on that defense that know Buck very well. So he could get all the intel he needs 
going in is my point. You know, he can get a, it wouldn't be hard at all for him to get in touch with DeForest Buckner and find out what he needs to find out. Uh, so I think that could be the key there. You know, if DeForest Buckner told him, yes, you can come here and you can win. And, and this year was an aberration. I think he'd have interest. If Buckner told him stay away, you know, it's a circus, it's a clown show, uh, then then he probably wouldn't. I think it, it might honestly come down to recommendation of, of you know, your all pro defensive tackle. I think the biggest, I think the toughest part for the Colts hiring D'Amico Ryan's, I think he will be the head coach for circus. I just think it's the circus down south in Houston. I think mm-hmm. that when you look at kind of, you know, how the, the connection Jim Harbaugh has to the Colts, obviously that, that connection is tenfold for what he has to the Texans, that organization. Mm-hmm. I just would say if you're going to go to a team that's in the, you know, where they are right now, I would say it's probably going to be, he'll be in Houston uh, before he would take the Colts job. And then again, if you're the Texans, not that they do anything right, not that they deserve the benefit of the doubt here in terms of making any sort of competent and right decision, similar to the Colts this year for sure, but at least they have a longer track record of it. Um, You would think common sense would say draft Bryce Young, hire D'Amico Ryans. You like that, that should be the offseason, you know, goal right there. Just stop short, boom, okay, let's go. But I don't think you could trust the Texans either way. Um, but I do think if there is one thing they do get right, whether it's either drafting the quarterback or hiring the right head coach, I would say it's more likely they hire Jamika Ryans than it is to, to draft Bryce. And hopefully I'm right on that, by the way. But I would say that's kind of my read on the Texans, and they are incompetent so far the last few years. Uh, so I just think that's there's one of the things I think that he's just more of a likely slam dunk for the Texans. And, if they don't hire, maybe he feel a little bit of frustration and go to an in-division team and kind of play him twice a year. But, um, yeah, like I, said, I just think at this point, for me, it's the Texans are bust for him um, when it comes to getting hired, which I think wouldn't make the Colts uh, tougher to hire him for sure. All right, George, when we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast, let's finish up with the regular season finale. Biggest game of the year. Colts, Texans, Lucas Oil Stadium, 1 o'clock Eastern. Let's go. We'll give you a little preview of that game in the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you. George, the regular season finale is mercifully here. The final 60 minutes of torture on a Sunday is finally upon us. Colts, Texans, and you look at this matchup. You talk about an absolute barn burner. Colts and Texans are tied for 31st in the NFL when it comes to points per game at 16.1. When you look at, you know, in terms of yards per game and total offense, Neither are much better. The Texans are dead last in the NFL in that regard. The Colts are 29th. So we were talking about two anemic, inept offenses, offenses battling it out here in Week 18. I hate to say it, we bounced like a three-three tie. This was what it feels like a trending towards. Scoreless draw. Even better. You know, World honestly, Cup at that point, let's a scoreless go. draw. This is a grudge match. I don't know what you're talking about. Tied at the beginning of the year. Been waiting all season to settle this this business. Uh, no winner in Houston, and and now winner takes all here at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday at one o'clock. I think people are going to be on the edge of their seats here. It is. Oof. It's also it's actually pathetic to say, but 
you go into this game too, and it's like the Texans are the one you have more confidence in. Like this is a team. I always got their doors blown off by the Jaguars, but you look at it recently. They beat the Titans. They went to overtime against the Chiefs, and they're leading up to the final minute against the Cowboys their last month. This thing that's for Lovey Smith, who it seems like is a dead man walking, a one and done for the second straight year in Houston. This team is playing hard for him, even though they can't really score a lot of points, even though they don't do a lot of things right. There's not a lot of talent there. This is a team that, to their credit, at least, they are playing hard. I think it's without a doubt. If you're going to say which team is going to play more inspired, more motivated on Sunday, without question, I think it's going to be Houston compared to the Colts. Yeah, I mean, they got run by Jacksonville on, on Sunday, but I think that was kind of expected. Jacksonville had a ton on the line there. Uh, I know that technically they didn't in the sense that uh, it was going to come down to the Tennessee game no matter what, but I think if you're Jacksonville and you had a chance at a winning season uh, and you're trying to keep the momentum that they had, I don't know that outcome was surprising at all, especially Jacksonville was trying to, I think they lost six straight to Houston. So they're trying to end that as well. Uh, there was a lot, I think below the surface for Jacksonville to play for in that game. Uh, and I think they were able to just kind of blow the Texans doors off. But as you mentioned that that's the only time that's happened. I mean, they, they took Dallas down the wire to Kansas city to overtime. Um, they played up till that Jacksonville game. They played much more spirited football than the Colts have the last month of the season. There's no question about that. Um, I, I think the question for both teams is what's the motivation, you know, other than trying to win a game and in the season on a high note, um, the, the, the Texans, the players and coaches won't think that way, but obviously they need a loss for a lot of reasons. Uh, the bears are not playing Justin Fields. I, I saw that yesterday. So, you know, they're in danger with a win of not being the number one overall pick anymore. Uh, so I think the organization would like a loss. Uh, players and coaches, of course, are going to go out there and, and, and do their level best. Maybe Lovey Smith's coaching for his job. I doubt it. I doubt this game is going to make much of a difference for him one way or the other. And I have heard that makes sense. You know, for him, if he is going to come back, the, the only real path is is changing his offensive staff significantly, which, you know, given what they've been able to produce – isn't a big surprise. Yeah, like that that hire in and of itself never made any sense because it just felt like they were like it says that they wanted desperate to hire Josh McCann. They wanted to basically do what Jim Mercy actually did and just hire an out of the box, off the wall candidate with no experience whatsoever. They tried that two years ago. It seems like they were trying to trend that in that, in that direction last year. It seems like the Brian Flores lawsuit against the Dolphins in the NFL really kind of changed your thinking. They just said, uh, okay, Lovey Smith right here. Let's just promote him from within. And now I said it's been a two-win season. Shockingly, the Texans have not gotten, you know, they actually somehow were aggressive from David Culley to, to Lovey Smith. But I'll give Lovey Smith this. And again, we're talking about Jeff Saturday and, you know, kind of what he was brought in to do to be a motivator. Kind of the same with Lovey Smith. I know he's more of a defensive backer, but he's just a professional head coach who, you know, should you get these guys ready to play. And I, again, I would say throughout the duration of the season, I thought Lovey Smith did a better job of that than especially what we've seen so far with, with Jeff Saturday. And it's just like when it comes to, said being motivated, trying to play spirited. Like I said, players and coaches don't tank. So even though basically both – it's it's going to be one of those games that's funny too because I don't think any fan base wants to win this game. Colts fans are going to be watching rooting for a loss. Texas fans are going to be watching rooting for a loss. This is one of those extremely rare situations where nobody wants to win. But that sucks. I think Jeff Sadd is going to be coaching to win. Levy Smith is going to be coaching to win. But it's one of those where you look Sam Ellinger versus Davis Mills. I mean, you can go up and down this list here at least. The, the, the Texans have the quarterback advantage bare minimum. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and I think their defense is playing with a little more life, too. I mean, I know yes. the Colts defense 
uh, you know, across the seasons probably been the better, better unit. Uh, but the last few weeks, the last, you know, as this tailspin is really taking in for Indy, uh, I think Houston's defense has, has, has been the better unit, you know, in this matchup as well. So, um, there's not a lot really to like about either team right now. I mean, to be honest, uh, but I, I agree with you. I think the Texans advantage is that they have the more experienced, better quarterback right now. Uh, they have the more experienced, better head coach, and they've been playing harder. They, they seem to have a little more fight right now than the Colts have had. And the last thing I'll say before we do give our picks here, George, is this. Jerry Hughes had, you know, played inspired football, to say the least, in week number one is terrorizing Matt Ryan uh, all game long. You, When you see so far how this offense line has just, frankly, given up the last, let's say, two or three weeks, you see how life would say we're against Kayvon Thibodeau when he's sitting there celebrating. You have licking your chops, going back now to Indy if you're Jerry Hughes with a big chip on your shoulder. That's a guy that and he's got, I think, assuming playing with his hair on fire, and whether it's Bernard Ryman, whether it's Braden Smith, I think he'll he'll be giving them a run for their money without a doubt on Sunday. No, that's definitely something to watch. I mean, he definitely had his revenge game uh, in week one, and oh, he's yeah. probably not as motivated uh, this week as he was then, you know, with hopes that he's going to have like an all pro season or whatever. Uh, but I'm sure for him, and there's no better way to finish things off than to book in this season with with revenge games against your your former team. That is for sure. So when you look at this game, George, it's a rarity at this point that the Colts are actually favored, but they are favored in the home finale and uh, the season finale against the Texans. They are two and a half point favorites here. Are you picking the Colts to finish out with a win and get to five? Or is this this is this truly just going to spiral out of control and we're sitting here talking about another loss in the season? Man, I've been going back and forth all week because I really feel like Houston could win this game um, for all the reasons that we just mentioned. But I think I'm going to pick the Colts, and here's why. All year long, I have not picked the Colts to win a game they won. And the only chance to do it oh. is now. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with an offensive explosion, and the Colts win the game 16-13. to 13. Wow. I'll be honest. I'm actually more surprised at this. Like, this is pathetic. We did this a few weeks ago. The fact that we're talking about 16 points, I think it was – I forget which game it was. We're talking about, is, is 13 points too much to, to give them credit for? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like here I talk about 16. Like, oh geez, wow, 16. But Sam Ellinger's quarterback, I'll take 16. I think they lose this game. If it's Nick mm -hmm. Foles or Matt Ryan, I would say, you know what? Maybe there's a little bit more professionals in there. Maybe they get an extra touchdown or two. But like Sam Ellinger, look, before we've seen the two weeks, he's not been very good whatsoever. Even though this this tight uh this Texan defense plays spirited, they're not very good. I can't see him, you know, like I said, lighting this team up. This team has given up the last two weeks. That's something too. I just can't like I don't think they're going to be the more motivated team, George. So it's like I also, right. too, you, you don't have a quarterback advantage. You, there's no reason for me to believe you're actually going to come out here with a spirited effort and actually care. Well, like I, you're, they, they just don't care. When you don't play motivated against the, uh, against the Chargers. When you lay a complete egg, it basically looks like you're counting down the time. You get back on the plane and go home after the Giants game. I don't see that this is going to change whatsoever. I think this team is just going to be going through the motions. You have Sam Ellinger, a quarterback, as well. I'll go Texans. I'll say 13-6. They'll get two yeah. field goals. They'll get they'll march down 13-6. Texans win. And one thing I don't understand here, but look, Vegas is right more times than not. Clearly, right? That's that's why they are in business. That's why that all those beautiful buildings in the desert keep on popping up and, and business is only booming. It's not slowing down. They have the over-under at this game, George, of 38 points. 30. Like I'm sitting here gasping at your 60 to 13 score prediction. That's 29 points. It's almost a full, you know, 10 points less than the under. It's 
if they make it, that might be the biggest upset of the season. If we get a, oh, you know, beating this, the Chiefs. Get, if they hit the over? Yeah, so, I mean, it was 2020 in week one. Uh, and that's when both these teams were fresh and and had hope and optimism and, you know, belief that, that they could do something special this year. Uh, it's hard to imagine they're going to match that total on on Sunday. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think all common sense leans towards Houston. Uh, as we talked about going to the Giants game, there's nothing that's changed uh, from one week to the next that would make you think that the Colts are going to suddenly be a more motivated unit than they've been. There, there's nothing about this game that should inspire them uh, in a way that they haven't been inspired against the Chargers or the Giants. Uh, the tie, I guess, but I don't think anybody really cares about that. Zaire Franklin did mention uh, he's on board with you. He just he hates having that tie at the end of the record all year. He, you know that was that was something that, that that didn't sit well with him. But you know, I, I it's hard for me to imagine that a tie is going to motivate you uh, when you know spoiling teams' playoff chances weren't able to do it. Right, no, hundred percent right. Like I said two weeks in a row they had a chance to do so. One at home on a Monday night stage, nonetheless. And the Giants on New Year's Day, like I said, both just were, were lifeless and pathetic. I guess in my, you know, for, for my argument, the last three weeks, somebody's clinched something against the Colts. The Vikings clinched the division. Then the Chargers clinched a playoff spot. The Giants clinched a playoff spot. With a Houston loss, they clinched the number one seed. So there's a there's a pattern here. They get the number one pick. <laughs> I think it's going it, to, it sticks together. Like, honestly, I'm just doing it because, like I, I said, like I have not picked the Colts to win a game all year that they actually won. So I don't, my heart's not in this pick. I just, you know, I'm going to give myself a chance to, to, to get off the schneid. I get that's actually, I think I'm with you too, by the way, because I think we've agreed on a lot of these picks. I said the Jaguars for sure. We know we didn't pick them. The, the chiefs, no shot in hell. Either of us picked them for sure. The Broncos, I think you said, well, on the pot, I picked the Broncos. Then when I woke up, I said, you know what? The Colts are going to win this game. But again, that was, that doesn't even count that 12-9 slop fest. Oh, geez. <laughs> and no way we thought Jeff Saturday in his, in his first game as head coach is going to win that one. So it's that's a good – wow. I like that, George. Let's break this tonight. We got to get something going positively in the offseason. Forget the Colts team itself. Let's just get this Blue Horseshoe Pod picks going in the right direction. I like that for sure. But either way, folks, I think one thing we can both agree on, whether it's George picking the Colts or me picking the Texans, is this. Not a lot of points are going to be scored. It's going to be one of those where it's just keep the clock running. No halftime. Let's go out of bounds. Keep it going. Incomplete pass. Keep oh, the clock yeah. running. Let's just get this game over with as fast. No flags. As I mean, no no blood, <laughs> no foul on Sunday, right? I mean, let, I like it. let the game roll. Let the game roll. Let the offseason finally commence. Lots really of running attempts. Right. Yes. I like bringing Jeff Driscoll for the Texans who love mm -hmm. doing that, you know, Wildcat quarterback package. Oh, yeah. Just run the ball. There's just, yeah. If there's three passes combined. In this game, I would be all for it. Let's just run down the clock and let's just get on with, with the offseason where really the juice and really the fun does begin. Really fast here, George. Let's end on a high note and not talk about this game whatsoever. And that's this. The Pro Football Hall of Fame announced their 15 finalists for the 2023 class and a few names that should sound familiar. Reggie Wayne, finalist. Dwight Freeney, finalist. And Colts legend, Andre Johnson, finalist as well. It's a great honor for those three. I think, George, I'm going to say that this is the year that Dwight Freeney gets in. I think Reggie Wayne's going to probably have to wait a little bit, but I think nonetheless, Dwight Freeney and Reggie Wayne, whether it's this year or it's next year, two years from now, three years from now, both deserving, and I think both definitely will be into the Hall of Fame without a doubt. They're both Hall of Fame worthy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I, honestly, I'm going to go be the, the opposite way on here. I think Reggie's got a better chance this year just because mm. I think this is his third time as a finalist. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I 
the one thing I think in in your argument's favor is it seems like the the voters are holding Peyton Manning against Reggie Wayne, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, when, when you look at what he did with Curtis Painter and what he did with a rookie Andrew Luck, uh, <laughs> to there and and argue, he almost had a thousand yards receiving with with, no, with Curtis Painter. Right. That might have been the best year of his career. I mean, in, in all honesty, he had three quarterbacks that year. It was very similar to this season. He almost had a thousand yards. He doesn't get enough credit for that at all. Um, right, that's hilarious. I love that. I don't know who the presenter is, but you should be the presenter. And just push, <laughs> put up that right there. Say, Do I need to say any more? Right. Just look at 2011 right there. It's here. This is why he's a Hall of Famer. And uh, honestly, I mean, he was such a leader for this team in the early luck years. You know, when you talk about that team kind of overachieving and, and, and getting success much faster than people thought they would, so much that had to do with Reggie Wayne in the locker room and his ability to, to kind of get this team to believe. I'll never forget the Green Bay game, you know, the Orange Gloves game, uh, which mm. he seemed to almost win on his own for Chuck Pagano. Um, that kind of stuff to me is 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 Hall of Fame kind of stuff. You know, it, score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. His his playoff numbers are absolutely through the roof. Um, I think for a long time he was second to Jerry Rice in most playoff categories. That's another thing that kind of tells you you're a Hall of Famer. Uh, but I think Freeney's probably he's no one's gonna hold Peyton Manning against him. You know what I mean? So he's That's he's got sure. that advantage. Um, and I think he's nationally, I think he's seen as the bigger candidate than Robert Mathis. So I think that helps him too. The other thing that hurts Reggie is a lot of people, Marvin Harrison, you know, they, they hold Marvin Harrison against him and they hold Peyton Manning against him. He played half his career without Marvin Harrison. I mean, it, it to me, those are ridiculous arguments, but they're out there. And I don't think Freeney faces that at all. That's a good point. Um, I think I'm saying, right. Like it's, it's sometimes, you know, the nitpicking that goes on and like some of the arguments, like again, we're talking about greats of greats. So it's not like, you know, you're knocking his career at all, but like I said, it's sometimes stupid. But the thing, the reason why I think Dwight Freeney is more likely is just also because another trend we've seen outside of just, you know, quote unquote, punishing Reggie Wayne for playing with great players. Wow. You know, what a shock. It's not like Jerry Rice played with great players either or Joe Montana, but anyway, nonetheless, <laughs> right. um, we saw also too, is just like, it seemed like the voters pick like one, like one player from one position. Right? It's either they just kind of go for buckets. And you look at some of the finalists. Like if you say there's one receiver that's going to get in, I would probably say it's going to be Torrey Holt. Because that's a guy who's been on, on the on the battle longer. Another guy who, you know, talking about getting punished for playing with Isaac Bruce and Kurt Warner. Again, stupid. But I just think it's one of those things where you feel like, okay, Isaac Bruce got in a few years ago. So now it's like Torrey Holt's time. Um, who's been a finalist a little bit longer. And I think Reggie Wayne's time will come. But I just feel like what we've seen recently, it's okay, we'll take one wide receiver, we'll take one defensive end. And when you kind of look between, you know, Jared Allen, Demarcus Ware, Dwight Freeney, I would say Dwight Freeney is more likely to get picked of the three than Reggie Wayne getting picked over Torrey Holt, even Andre Johnson. Devin Hester, I don't know how they're going to categorize him because he's not really a receiver. He's just, you know, obviously a kick return, punt return threat. I just one of those things where the trend feels like it may take one guy from one position and you're trying to double up or especially triple up. I would just say Torrey Holt's probably higher on the on the priority list of getting in than I would say Reggie Wayne right now, where people and voters, which is again, this is another stupid argument, but I think it's it's also how it works. Oh, he'll get an extra, he'll be on the ballot longer, but yeah, I get the guys that have been waiting longer in first. No, we but, saw it with Marvin Harrison. I right. think that's absolutely the case, and especially receiver. It just it, it feels like it it's been a waiting line right now. And yeah. you know, whose number is is next? They just call, you know, who's been waiting the longest and, and you're on your way in. I mean 
Andre Reed belong in before Marvin Harrison? I don't think people outside of Buffalo are going to agree with that. Uh, anyway, I think 31 other franchises would say, no, Marvin Harrison should have gone in before, but Andre Reed went in because he'd been waiting longer. And then Harrison went in the next year. You definitely could see the same kind of situation. I don't think, I don't think Holt is, is, is far below Reggie Wayne. I think they're very similar players. I think you look at them and, and the careers they had and the offenses they played in. Uh, like you said, I think they're very, very similar guys. Uh, and I, I agree. I think probably Torrey Holt will get it, it's he's next in line. And that seems to be the most important thing right now. Right. It's it's so like I I, I get frustrated with Hall of Fame voting in general. I think all the like for me, honestly, I would just do a one and done. It's either your Hall of Fame or you're not. So I hate that. Like, I hate like I get it. Sometimes you're going to have like a, a 20 person or a 10 person class. I get sometimes that's why they don't want to do it. And the NFL, they're very strict on just five guys each year, no matter what. But it's just like it's one of those things where it's like you have to wait or there's like a, like I said, it's almost like a deli counter. Of, oh, who number 41, you're up next. Oh, well, that's, you know, in this case, Tory Holt. So sorry, Reggie, we even know you can argue your stats are better. You're more deserving or other guys are more deserving getting in. It's you got to wait. It's just, it's just stupid. It works like your whole family or not. And I just, I hate the fact that people sometimes will rush to put other players in because also oh, last year on the ballot, we see that a lot with baseball or all oh, this, you know, they've been there longer. So let's put them in now. Like I said, is it, Ron Harrison's undoubtedly better receiver than, than Andre Reed, but it's just one of those stupid things where it's like, Oh, timing, you got to get this guy in. He's this is his first year. We'll get him in next year. It's it's a lot of semantics, a lot of politics, but it's very frustrating. But I think nonetheless, George Trishley, great to see Reggie Wayne the finalist again. Dwight Freeney is first year eligibility finalist. Without a doubt, I said both will be in uh, at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. Robert Mathis just missed out on the top 15. That's a guy that eventually will get in as well. I think he's deserving to get in. But you see, you know, Peyton Manning in there, Edwin James in there, Marvin Harrison in there, that, that you know, mid 2000s team stocked with studs. And I think so. Tony Dungey, Bill Polian. Yes. Thank you. We'll see a lot of those guys in there all together uh, soon. Yep. No, there's no doubt. Uh, and they're all deserving. I mean, that was one of the best teams, you know, best runs that you're ever going to see in the NFL. That's when, when Jim Mercy's talking about the upper quartile of the upper quartile, he's <laughs> talking about those guys in that era. Uh, and I think Reggie Wayne, um, hopefully sooner than later. Right. I mean, it, and I, I agree. I mean, both he and Freeney will get in. I think Mathis will get in. Uh, Mathis might be the end though. I think that'll be interesting. I don't think you're going to see Dallas Clark, uh, make it, uh, the, Mathis might be the end, end of the road there. Um, that's a pretty good haul. I mean, if they get, what will that be? Five players, a coach and a, and a GM. So something like that. Um, four players. Six, a maybe if you get, Mathis gets in, they can be six, right? Six. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think you yeah. feel pretty good about that, you know? Um, but no, I mean, congratulations to those guys for being finalists too. I mean, that's, I, I like you were talking about get frustrated with the voting in it. And it's absolutely the case. I also get frustrated with, with people acting like, you know, being a finalist is no big deal. I mean, it's, it is, it's huge, you know, and most of the guys that get to this level get in eventually. I think that's another, especially with Reggie Wayne, when you're a multiple time finalist, uh, it's just a matter of time now until, until he gets in. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before, like 1% of football players, that play, you know, high school football makes the NFL, or one percent of college players think it is makes the NFL. So even a smaller pool, and then to be not only make the NFL, but be great enough to where you are now considered one of the, in your class one of the fifteen best to ever play the game. That's it. It's no small accomplishment whatsoever. It should end, you know, in both Reggie Dwight and eventually Robert Mathis as well getting in the Hall of Fame. But like you mentioned, worst case scenario they don't. The fact that you are a finalist and knock on the door, it still should not, you know, diminish their career achievements whatsoever, and should highlight it the other way how great of players they truly were, how much appreciation we have uh, for what they have done without a doubt. Um, it's like I said, that, that run and hopefully too, Jim Mercer looks at this and realizes, wow, okay, 
You have Peyton, you have Edge, you have Marvin Harrison, probably Reggie Wayne, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, Tony Dungy, Bill Pauling. Like, how can we recreate that? And hopefully he realizes, okay, well, first I got to step out of the way. Now, I, that's a big assumption. That's a, that's a big ask for what we've seen this year. But hopefully, if anything, nonetheless, George, this serves as a reminder and a motivator of getting back to that high level uh, that the Colts said from really 2003 to 2009 uh 2010-ish they were able to just you know be one of the best teams in the nfl like you mentioned and like jim mercedes mentioned being that upper quartile of the upper quartile fitting way to end this blue horseshoe pod yeah that's (laughs) fitting way to end the blue horseshoe pod enjoy the game on sunday honestly at this point it's just laughs right like this is it's it's either you laugh or you cry i'm going to choose to laugh at this uh this ender for sure colt sexton's one o'clock we'll be back for a post-game edition to wrap up the final regular season game on Sunday evening, so make sure to look for that. And the way you look for it is by downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you do get your podcasts. So we'll talk to you on Sunday night. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you in the Blue Horseshoe Pod.